Hello and welcome once again to episode 68 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So we talked a bit about testing in the past, but today we wanted to dive deeper into the work of testing user interfaces. So um, we all know about the wonders of UI tests. Uh, Spencer, do you want to explain what those are? Yeah. Um, UI tests are a way that we can kind of automate the te- the, the testing process, right? Just like uh, unit tests uh, just kind of test your app in a certain way. Uh, UI tests are just another way to do that. And kind of, a, I feel like we've talked about, I feel like I've said this before, but maybe it was just when I was teaching, but kind of in this like black box way where you or your UI tests, just like the user doesn't actually have access to the code, but it's just through interaction with the UI of the app. And therefore we can kind of um, simulate the use of the app kind of by a user. And I think that's kind of the key thing rather than testing um, very small, maybe compartmentalized pieces of code like unit tests do. The UI test is more of a kind of integration test, kind of a more complete, like, let's go through an entire workflow of maybe uh, creating an account or creating some post or running through some longer kind of workflow that you would expect a user to go through and maybe ones that you also wouldn't expect a user to go through in order to try to break the app and make sure things work in, you know, various situations, but it's kind of this way of uh, simulating actual use of the app, if that makes sense, as opposed to normal unit tests. Mm -hmm. That said, they are a lot more uh, grungy than unit tests in that, Mm -hmm. as you said, you are working from the outside of your app's perspective. You're not running in the same memory space as your app. So you can Mm -hmm. actually uh, change the behavior of your app while your tests are running, which is often super convenient when doing unit tests because you can patch in a model um, that would have come from the network, for instance, that tests all sorts of behavior, the failure states, the success states, the wonky states. Like, you can get all those uh, verifications. Um, And UI test kind of falls a little short on its, like, direct support to enable this. Like, there are tools in place to mm-hmm. help you get around this, but it, it really just kind of says, hey, you're on your own. Like, we gave you a mechanism to tap the screen, um, and you can't even really see it, by the way. Uh, but I would say one good thing that has come out of UI tests is uh, full accessibility support um, for a lot of apps, because... In order to use UI tests, you need to be able to know where things are on the screen. And as I just mentioned, you can't just go ahead and um, you can't just go ahead and just ask your views like, "Hey, what's your, where are your coordinates?" Um, mm-hmm. So that way, I can tap you. Um, you have to go ahead and navigate your app as an accessibility user would have, um, ten, typically like through VoiceOver, where you kind of find an element that you're interested in um, and then say, "Tap it." Uh, and then see what happens, wait for something to happen and see if that's the result that you expected. Uh, so I th- I would say like the accessibility like infrastructure that you need to build out for this is amazing, but the UI tests themselves, they feel like a half-baked feature that never really sees much benefit. And I say that because user interfaces tend to change a lot um, and you're not really going to get anything that you can act upon like other than, oh, just change the test for the new behavior and then move on, which uh, is generally what you don't want to do for unit tests. You want <laughs> the unit tests to kind of maintain the same like status quo uh, and then other things change around it, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, kind of going back to the accessibility, I think that's a huge thing where, um, and we've talked about accessibility in the past, but that's I'm I'm super glad that it's built on top of accessibility and that's just if you know if the developer or the company decides to go ahead and use UI testing it's kind of that much more of an incentive to have good accessibility within the app itself it's kind of already built on that so it's sort of a a win-win either you do it and then you have accessibility support or you already have accessibility support and it makes writing the UI tests kind of easier to begin with because that infrastructure is there Mm -hmm. um so that's kind of a nice thing but yeah absolutely 
Um, I, I, I agree that it's sort of like half-baked and I think it's hard to kind of really figure out a good middle ground between, like you said, the UI changing when, you know, iOS 16 comes out and there's some new whatever, they change the way that the the lists look or whatever. Uh, maybe, I, I, I don't know, this is kind of a, a very contrived example, but something changes where maybe it breaks your test and then you have to go back and kind of rewrite them and it's not quite as like you said, solidified kind of historically as something like unit tests would be. So that can be hard. Um, that said, I, I've always kind of been a fan of UI tests. I think they're nice. Uh, that said, I love unit tests as well, but, um, there was a, um, a, a guy here in Utah that, um, had a Cocoa Heads talk, um, kind of on UI testing, I guess sort of opened my eyes to how to make them not as painful because I think everyone kind of groans when they, when they think of UI tests, at least it seems like that kind of in our space. Um, no one really enjoys making them. I, I think it is a little bit of a, a pain. Like you said, you have to go through and, you know, find the identifier for whatever object you have to tell it to tap and you have to, you know, maybe wait for a transition or whatever. And it's, maybe not the easiest or I don't know, maybe it's just cumbersome. I don't think it's necessarily super hard, but it's a little cumbersome, cumbersome. Um, and this, this talk that he did kind of showed how he and his company, the company who works for kind of builds this interesting, um, I guess you could call it a paradigm around making things as modular as possible. And I can't remember exactly what he called it. It was something like, test pages the test page pattern something like that i think he kind of coined it i don't know if there's really anything out there for it but um i have a link to his cocoa heads talk so we'll um on youtube so i'll um put that in the description it's not too long but it was kind of a really it made a really nice way in my opinion to you sort of have these test pages for every, for example, view controller, or maybe kind of, you know, um, large enough view, um, section of a view controller. Um, you kind of build out like, okay, these are the actual views that I'm going to interact with. And I'm not doing a very good <laughs> job of explaining things. Um, it, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is it made it really easy so that you kind of do that hard work of like, figuring out what the views identifiers are, you kind of write that once and then it makes it very quick. Once you've kind of done all of that initial work up front to sort of set up the access to those views, writing the actual test themselves becomes very quick um, as opposed to just kind of uh, writing that out yourselves or heaven forbid, like using the record feature. Cause I think that the record feature is pretty crap in my opinion. I, I think it gets things wrong. Or, at least you get the identifiers out of it, right? <laughs> and then you, you do get the it. Yeah, it feels really weird. Like the way uh, it seems like it has to go through so much, so many more levels to get to actually using the identifier than you should need to. If that makes sense, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, this has turned into a rant. Anyway, that was kind of the thing that made me think, like, okay, yeah, UI testing is maybe not our favorite thing, but also it can be less cumbersome than I think a lot of people think, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and also there are some legitimate uses for it. So um, at, as as someone who tends to work on apps where like every developer on the team can go through the entire app in under like two minutes, there doesn't really seem to be much use for uh, UI tests as a way of preventing you from shooting yourself in the foot. Because mm -hmm. it's super obvious when something is broken. Um, and someone on the team is going to catch it relatively quickly if you broke their part. Because they're going to be like, um, nothing works anymore. Uh, so it, there's unlike unit tests where you tend to write code that is verifying stuff that can fail in obtuse ways. Uh, this tends to be uh, an area where you aren't really like going to get a lot of bang for your buck depending on the app that you're writing. 
Um, and I think that's an important distinction as to why a lot of people just don't bother with them is because they're writing an app that they can they conceptualize the code base in their head uh, and they conceptualize the features of the app in their head as well. Like they know where everything is, what everything will do, and they can verify mm-hmm. that very quickly. Um, so like they're a faster unit tester than the computer can be uh, because the computer is sure. going to wait for every transition a little bit extra to make sure the transition's finished and then uh-huh. go through. Um, and anyone who's like waited for tests to finish, if you do this on a slow machine, like on GitHub Actions, you are going to be waiting an eternity for your mm-hmm. test to finish. And like you've moved on, like <laughs> to be fair, um, that's not helping you anymore. So that said, there are some like very legitimate uses that are not like testing related, ironically enough. Um, and that is just from an automation point of view. Uh, mm-hmm. For instance, prepping assets for the App Store. As you change your UI, little by little, things are going to... St- like move uh, the views are going to be nudged colors are going to change um and making screenshots for the app store is like a pain <clears throat> um and this can make that like a much more seamless experience especially if you use something like Fastlane to go ahead and upload all of that you can go ahead and prepare everything uh so that way you just have to click a button and uh bingo sprango you have a brand new um, brand new uh, screenshots to upload to the App Store that are just the right size and just the right simulator combination and it went through mm-hmm. all the permutations and it went through all the localizations and uh, you at that point just need to review them and be like oh this is totally broken I should probably fix this um, or uh, let's go ahead and just upload that and I'm not going to think twice about it um, because this is way better than the alternative of me taking screenshots like you just need to go through that process once um, as a developer that like brought your app to iPhone, iPad, Mac, watch, uh, yeah. and then you instantly hate the process. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so like you can spend the same amount of time uh, writing uni- uh, UI tests that's going to take like probably three times longer than doing it yourself manually. But then you just have to get through three releases and you'll be like very happy that you did it. Yeah. yeah like, and from there, you're you're golden. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I remember it wasn't even we didn't even have that many screen sizes back then when I was doing this. It was like the era of the iPhone six and six plus. So we had like like three, (laughs) the six, six plus, uh, SE and, or the five, I guess. And the four S maybe was still around and that was it. And it was a pain still. Um, I, I went through just this week. I was running through all of the device sizes for both iPhones and iPads. And it was actually quite shocking how many, uh, slight variations there are um let me pull up this list here but it was like something like seven different ipad sizes and six or so different iphone sizes it was much more than i was thinking there would be um yeah i was device screen sizes um yeah so one two three four five six uh ipads and eight iphone sizes that are currently in use. So imagine having to do that. Uh, screenshots for all of those devices. Actually, I don't know if that's true that you would have to do it for all you devices. Ha- you I think have it's... to do it for like the biggest ones of every yeah. aspect ratio, if that makes any sense. Uh-huh. Um, and then it can cheat, but that's not like an optimal solution because then some mm-hmm. people are going to see like the wrong screenshots for their uh, their app. Uh, that said, sometimes nowadays like no one takes proper screenshots anyways. They just take like marketing shots that are complete mm-hmm. baloney. Um which, like, I hate as a person browsing the app store. I'm like, I want to see what the app looks like, not what part of the app looks like obscured by this nice background of someone, like, <laughs> yeah. at the beach or whatever. Um, not not super convenient to me, but whatever. Um, I think you can probably set up the recording, too. Um, but I've never done it, so don't quote me on that. Mm-hmm. Um. Another kind of going back to the screenshots um, is something that we do at work, and I'm I haven't dove too much into the UI test because we have kind of uh, someone full time doing uh, like writing UI tests for us, um, among other things. Um, but for us at, at Luma on LumaFusion, we you know we've kind of got a whole rendering pipeline and to be honest i don't really understand everything but i know that what we'll do is we have very specific um kind of screenshots that we'll compare against and so you can uh do uh 
I don't I don't exactly know how it works, but oh, I think actually we just use Kaleidoscope if that if I remember right. But uh, we'll have exactly like we're talking about have the uh, UI test take screenshots and then we can compare it against kind of the master screenshot. And so um, if we you know move text to a specific location and we're messing around with something with that, I've I've seen tests where. Uh, maybe the text is a little bit off of where we would expect. And then that ruins, you know, everyone's projects if it's kind of going off of those values. And so uh, we use those snapshots to compare and make sure that between all of these different releases and all of these different, um, you know, uh, branches and pull requests that we're making that everything actually gets rendered out the way that it we, uh, we want it to and, and assume it will. And there have been times where uh, it doesn't come out. And the cool part about Kaleidoscope is you can compare two images and kind of overlay them and see where the differences are. Um, I think in just kind of black and white, it's really cool. I hadn't seen that before um, I started working here. But uh, I I know for us, we are, we are a company that uses UI tests. Uh, the extent of which I'm not quite sure, because again, I haven't looked into it. That. <laughs> Honestly, that's on me. So so uh, on that note, I think what you're talking about is something called snapshot testing. And there are two use cases where this is absolutely amazing. Um, and this is kind of like why I wanted to talk about this topic. So mm. if we start rambling from this point forward, it's because of this. Um, now, the first use case is you're writing a productivity app of some sort, and you have a canvas that needs to stay the same, right, mm. across variations um, or if there's a change, you want it to be very intentional. So in this use case, uh, the first thing that you want to do is write unit tests that are going to prepare your code. So these are not UI tests. Uh, mm -hmm. But at the end of the unit test where you prepare a view and you set it to whatever size you want, um, you can use like one of several snapshot testing libraries. Um, or you can write your own. It's not super complicated, to be honest. And what this will do is it will render it out as an image. And it will write that image to your repo. Now, the nice thing about this is the next time the test runs, it will check to see if there's an image in your repo and compare against it. Okay, if, yeah. If your image is the same, your test passes. Uh, if there's no image there, your test will fail the first time and then pass the second time. And what you do is you commit these images. Um, now, when the next person goes and breaks something... Uh, that test is going to fail. Um, and what you can do very easily is tell it to re-record that image. Um, and then if you go into your favorite diffing tool like Kaleidoscope, or if you just have um, a, a Git uh, utility that will show you like what you change in terms of code, oftentimes it'll also show you what you change in terms of uh, images. Um, and then right then and there, without you needing to like switch screens or anything, you can just have that open on a different... Um, monitor it will just show you hey this is what you had before and this is what you have after is this what you meant if it's what mm -hmm. you meant then you can keep that change if it's not what you meant you throw it away and you fix your test and you try again um now this uh can go ahead and be committed and on your pr everyone's going to notice hey you changed this test because um i don't know what bitbucket does but github will show you the same like onion peeling or diffing um, or swiping that Kaleidoscope does in a less nice UI, um, but it does show it. So it's immediately obvious that, hey, you changed the code, and this is how it changed the the render as well, because um, if you if you enforce um, any sort of CI like testing, um, that will fail if anything changes. So you're forced to commit your changes, and if you do commit your changes, then that will pass the CI test, but it will fail the human review because you're, someone will catch it and be like, well, did we want to change this? Or is right. this like motivate your reasoning uh, kind of thing? Um, so from the point of view of like you're writing a canvas in an app and you need to make sure nothing changes, this is amazing because you can immediately catch those. From the point of view of you're writing an app and you do this for your regular UI, this is also amazing because then you don't have to take screenshots yourself for the PR. Like your PR will be self-explanatory in terms of like what the UI changed. Uh, and so anyone can now see that it's visible um, to everyone. So if you have good coverage of unit tests that also cover all your UI um, code as well, in terms of like generating snapshots, 
um, it's a really easy thing that you can set up. Like, hey, this view controller, let's just render it to three different screen sizes um, and then have that be part of the repo. And then when someone changes something, one, they'll notice that they changed it immediately because you have a, a silly test. Um, and that test is not to prevent them from changing it necessarily. It's just so that way they can be like, oh, this changed in a way that I didn't want. Let me go fix that. Um, or, uh, oh, this changes intentionally and I want to communicate that with the team, but I don't want to like put all the effort into making videos and all that. And that's another, that's like another really cool thing that you can get out of snapshot testing. So to be clear, these are not UI tests. They don't actually uh, simulate touching the device externally. Um, they are run entirely in a simulated environment that you control. So you can set up mocks, you can set up all sorts of failure states or success states or uh, iffy states in between. And uh, it will all just kind of work. Uh, and I think that is like an amazing tool um, at your disposal that... I think Apple really should build in tools to Xcode to like help with this process because needing to have a third-party library just to do this is okay. Like it would be better if it's just like a built-in feature um, because it covers a very different use case. Um, and combined with like Xcode Cloud, maybe that can be something that uh, it can do a really great job at uh, showing differences for. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's super cool. I, I didn't quite realize how it all worked. Um, that makes sense, though. Um, another thing that you could do is um, kind of along the same lines of kind of like having a sanity check is uh, localization support and making sure that things look good on, you know, if, if you're running your app with multiple languages, uh, making sure that your localized strings are good and making sure that uh, things don't run off the view controller or, you know, uh, your cell expands to the German text or whatever it is uh, to make sure that everything is kind of, uh, you know, if it looks good in English, that's great. But if you're supporting localization, then it needs to look good in, in languages where one word that is four letters in English is maybe 30 in, in another, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, and that reminds me, um, like, I don't, I don't know specifically about uh, localization, but in SwiftUI previews, you can do quite a lot of permutations in terms of light mode, dark mode, mm -hmm. uh, different accessibility, text sizes. Um, and seeing that change all at once, like as you're just making like little tweaks, is so powerful to dial in uh, a UI. Um, and SwiftUI previews can be used if you don't have any SwiftUI in your app. Like you just have to write uh, a silly little UI view controller representable um, mm -hmm. that wraps your view controller or your view um, and like a self-contained uh, little SwiftUI previews thing at the bottom of your file, and it will happily render that live as you change values in your view controller, um, which is super, super cool. Um, and everyone should take advantage of SwiftUI previews, no matter if they're using SwiftUI um, at all. You are going to miss out on some behaviors with like um, safe area con layout guides and stuff like that, um, but for the most part, it's going to show you what your UI is going to look like. Um, and that is so powerful to see live. Um, and I would like, if I were writing a snapshot testing thing from scratch, I would make the previews snapshotable, if that makes sense. Um, mm -hmm. so that way, whatever you're like developing with, that's what gets rendered into your repo, uh, for others to review as well, because, uh, GitHub PR reviews, they know nothing about SwiftUI previews. Um, so they're not going to be able to show you any sort of diff uh, here and there. Um, so that's unfortunate. Yeah. Uh, and along with like dark and light mode, this probably kind of goes without saying, but you can also have like multiple devices. It's really easy to just mm -hmm. set up a preview and say, hey, uh, give me an iPhone 12, give me a 12 Pro, give me, you know, all of these iPads or whatever you want and have them all just, you know, scrollable, scroll through all of those different um, devices. So that's super nice and um not something uh, honestly my the amount of swift ui i've written is pretty little in production but it is cool to be able to render things out in multiple uh you know light and dark mode but also just multiple devices without having to run a bunch of simulators but one one last big use case i wanted to bring up for uh snapshots testing and ui testing in general uh or testing your ui not ui testing because i don't like ui testing um <laughs> is 
checking for OS level changes. Um, so as you mentioned before, Spencer, when a new version of the OS comes out, ideally in the beta period, if you have good test coverage of your app in terms of like what its UI looks like, you can just run your tests on the beta and instantly know, hey, the beta broke all these parts of my app. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that might be fine and good and dandy, uh, so you can go ahead and fix uh, those so that way your app looks the way it needs to or you change the behavior in this way or that way. But you can also write tests that verify if a workaround that you need is still necessary. Um, so, for instance, you can test against the assumption that it's going to work, like test a failure case, um, where the UI, you expect it to like be one thing, but because of uh, the way the OS is doing something it shouldn't be doing, uh, you can see if in the future, Apple just unexpectedly fixes it. Um, and that Ooh. means that you can get rid of your workarounds. Um, so this is a great technique for kind of isolating and noticing those changes over time. So that way your code base doesn't just accumulate uh, junk code all over the place. Um, and although you're going to be accumulating weird tests in one corner, you can isolate that like with some documentation uh, and explain like, hey, these are just so that way we know if the OS ever fixes these bugs, we can just delete that code and that's going to be awesome. Um, so you already know what it's supposed to look like. You know what the OS is doing it wrong. Uh, so you can definitely have um, tests that verify those conditions and do one th- and fail when they do the right thing, if that makes sense. So that way you would notice uh, when it is working. Right, yeah. I, I definitely think it's it would be better to have just some random pieces of code in the tests rather than the app, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I get that for sure. And the last uh, thing I wanted to bring up about unit tests is one thing that we oftentimes don't think about is... Uh, from the point of view of complex features like universal uh, links and stuff like that, where anything can force your app to show any UI, um, this can be typically hard to make sure it works right. Um, and UI tests actually work great for this because you can go ahead and tell your app, hey, open this this arbitrary like UI. Uh, and if it works, especially when the app is in a state where it was showing a different UI, uh, then you f- you can feel confident that it's going to work like successfully. So um, that is another uh, place where you can go ahead and build some good uh, UI tests. Nice. Yeah, kind of <laughs> bringing this kind of not full circle, but bringing this back to the start. I um, I kind of misunderstood <laughs> that we were just talking about testing UIs and not like specifically UI testing. So that that's on me for giving like that whole long <laughs> explanation of UI testing and then we're like oh but actually testing UIs in general not UI testing so sorry about that <laughs> no not a problem I mean there are definitely use cases and I fall short at noticing the better use cases for UI testing because mm. I just hate it so much um, yeah but like you don't have to be me you you don't have to hate it um, and by not hating it you can learn to appreciate what it does really well um, which uh is an oftentimes like forgotten skill of a developer uh, is you can steal ideas from anything and everywhere, right? You just Mm. need to be able to notice and identify those ideas and which ones are good. Um, And if you kind of go into things saying, oh no, Swift is the best and nothing is better, then you're never going to learn like about how to do things differently. Like, the new actors and Swift UI, like that's an idea that does not did not start in Swift. It's just being uh, iterated on in Swift and done in a slightly different way, uh, perhaps. But it was an idea that already existed. Um, and same for all sorts of Swift features, like they came in from other languages. Um, and uh, just like the English language accumulates all sorts of new vocabulary over time and new grammatical patterns. Uh, the Swift as a language is doing that too, just in a more controlled setting, right? Um, Where people are kind of guiding the ship rather than just letting it coast in any which direction. Mm -hmm. But it's a good direction, I think, in in general. I think we've, like, um, I I know that we talked about this a a few episodes ago, but Dimitri was just kind of talking to me about async away, and I, I had said that I haven't, you know, 
got quite into it. And um, this this last week, I finally dove in and rewatched the WWDC videos and started refactoring a um, a vapor app with async away, and it was absolutely incredible to see kind of the state of. <laughs> Uh, all you know, all of the closures that I had to deal with and everything in um, in uh, Vapor with all of the futures and and promises and everything uh, to something very very flat um, with async wait. And I think that's really cool about you know uh, taking these design patterns from other places. Like I think is it JavaScript that also has async await or yeah, something. so JavaScript has async away, but it works in a very different way. So Oh, it's just in name only. Okay. Yeah. It's well, still single threaded. It... Oh yeah, that's true, huh? Either way, um like I, I guess my thing for UI testing, and this is a pretty, I guess, narrow use case for it, but and this is probably like the poster child use case for UI tests is just whenever I wanted to run through uh, I don't know creating a post but i had to log in first or whatever and it's just a lot of manual work having the ui test do that for me is really nice as long as it's kind of this reproducible set of steps and when it isn't that's where you know it definitely falls apart when you want to have slight variations i guess you can make more tests but you know i i definitely get why it's not super popular mm-hmm. i think there's definitely a time and place for it though yeah, I can definitely see like a, a few minor tweaks being made to it that would make it a lot more powerful. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of held back by the fact that it is purely from an integration test point of view and not a hybrid uh, where mm-hmm. you can actually control the app yeah. inside and out, um, if that makes any sense. As a final, final note, uh, if you have any sort of CI with tests, uh, you'll notice that tests take a while to run. Um, and you always feel stupid when you miss like one test and then you fix something and you miss <laughs> like another test because you were like, oh, let me just like remove some lines over here. Uh, so one thing you can do is set up something called a Git hook that will go ahead and run the tests locally on your machine every time you attempt to push. And if those tests fail, the push will fail um, and you will get a notification to kind of, not a notification, you'll get uh, some gobbledygook out of uh, whatever Git client you're using, uh, and it will go ahead and tell you, hey, this test failed or that test failed. Like, uh, you're not ready to push. Basically, it it will <laughs> fail on the serv- on the PR as well. So go ahead and fix it now because your computer can run the test in a minute. The server will take a good twenty minutes. Uh, so that's a that's a useful tool to just like set up once and then forget about. Um, same goes for any linters that you might use. Um, and it works for unit tests as well. Um, so maybe not every time you commit, uh, but definitely right before you push, that is a great thing um, that you can set up. That's a great idea. I really like that. I I remember that when I first started this job, and uh, you know, this is my first job like as a, an actual developer, and it was uh, there were quite a few pull requests that got rejected at the very start because I didn't really kind of do my due diligence, and I was like yeah, the code looks good to me. And I, you know, kind of tested things manually on my own, but I had never ran the, te- the unit tests and everything. And, um, you know, stuff got, <laughs> stuff got rejected. So definitely agree that it's, it's really, really good to run the test before you push. And that's even better if it can sort of be automated where it's like, it will run no matter what. And you don't have to remember to, to run the tests. At mm-hmm. all. And, and I just want to say like every skill level, like experiences this you will see people's prs testing testing linter testing testing okay good. <laughs> <laughs> like that will just be a series of commits um even though you can force push and rewrite your commits um <laughs> <laughs> which is unfortunate because no matter what experience level ever no one is good at git um so get good at git first then study your unit tests um did i mention the documentation there's a lot um but uh no matter how good you are as uh a programmer in terms of how much experience you've accumulated like these are easy things that you can that anyone can and should practice and be a little better at um mm-hmm. and uh yeah like the tools are there to help you uh so use them to your advantage rather than as like a uh something else i have to do um like they can they can be legitimately useful and time-saving to you even as a single developer 
So, uh, on that very good note, this week's episode of Code Completion is once again brought to you by Super Easy Timer. Super Easy Timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your Mac. It's completely text-based, so you can type in English what you want, 20 minutes or 5 p.m., hit enter, and instantly start a timer. The timer understands English text to create, update, and start a new timer. You can quickly change an active countdown, even while it's still counting down. There are simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. So I once again have bought more stuff um, as <laughs> is becoming a, a habit of mine. Um, and as, in my in my like process to HomeKitify my home, I have uh, wanted to have a HomePod in the garage because we have a few things in the garage as well. Um, and having one there would mean I can like yell to turn off the lights, which is a super convenient, mm-hmm. or we can intercom, uh, throughout if, uh, me or Lynn is in there and we need to tell the other to grab something while our hands are full of laundry or something. Uh, so it's just like a generally useful thing that I wanted to do. Uh, so that said, my garage is not hermetically sealed and it is a, a festering place of dust and there's like no like furniture to put stuff on. Um, so it's like not the best place to put a HomePod. Uh, so yeah. I was trying to find something that would work. Um, and I came across this little gizmo on Amazon. So this is the Moro HomePod Mini Wall Mount Holder. That's its full name. Uh, we'll <laughs> post a link to it on Amazon uh, below. Uh, but if you have a HomePod Mini, which I have right here for demonstration purposes, you can go ahead and like fish... Uh, the cable all the way through. This is the ASMR moment of our series. <laughs> so you fish it all the way through and just kind of like snap it in place like that. And okay. now you have the plug, right? So you can wind this. I'm not going to bother doing it right now. But you have the plug and the plug just kind of fits into this like gasketed rubbered thing. Um, and you're supposed to like put it through all the way, but your cable comes right back through, inserts into the plug, and that just sits on the power outlet. Uh, so that's like really cool. It's very reasonably lightweight and there's enough like friction to keep it there. Um, and I haven't seen it move. Uh, so that was solving like problem one of having a HomePod in the garage. But problem two is the the dust and the hermetically sealing and stuff. So I'm like looking all over the place for like, oh, is there some sort of case or a box or something? Um, and then I just thought, let me give it a try. I brought this over to my kitchen, got some saran wrap out, uh, and just covered it in saran wrap. And I'm like, it's not going to be excellent, but it'll probably <laughs> still work. Uh, and it turns out it's excellent. Like you cannot notice the speaker quality uh, coming, like being any worse uh, coming out of it it's not like people are gonna be touching it so it's like gonna mm. just be the same uh as plastic tends to be over time um it might melt a little i'm not too sure but SRAM rack tends to be one of the better like not gonna ruin everything if it melts tends to be used for like food and stuff so um that's what i just like wrapped in SRAM wrap kind of like bunched a bunch at the bottom to kind of keep it uh tight um, and since Ram Wrap is a very thin film, like sound passes just fine through it. The mic works fine. Um, and I haven't noticed, like, I'm not using it to have workouts in my very dusty garage. So I don't need, like, optimal sound performance. Um, right. I just needed it as, like, a, a utility sort of thing. Uh, so, yeah, uh, that is the V Moro uh, HomePod mini wall mount holder. Uh, when you purchase this fine product, you get this wrinkly piece of paper that explains uh, exactly how to set it up. Um, it's as simple as what I showed, or if you want to look it up, uh, tap the link in the show notes and you can kind of see for yourself. It doesn't cost very much, uh, and it comes as a two pack. So you now need to find a use for the other one, which I found right now to show everyone else. Um, (laughs) but yeah, uh, that was, that was really fun. Nice. That's cool. That's a good idea to just have it hanging. Um, yeah, I mean, I only, I have the original home pod and i've seen you know wall mounts for those but it's pretty cool to just have it kind of dangling off the um the outlet. the the outlet itself i've seen you know things like that for holding your phone or whatever but 
having something permanent and, you know, in a place that you don't want to just put it on the ground or uh, on a dusty shelf or something. That's, that's pretty cool. I was, I was going to say, I wonder how the, the sound output is like if you were listening to music, but sounds, sounds like fine. it's not bad. And you yeah. know, you're in a garage, you're probably not going to be And it's a HomePod mini. There. It's not like the best sounding yeah. speaker anyways. So yeah, for sure. That's cool. Um, so yeah, uh, some, some of us were like talking and wondering like, how do they pick the names for these products? Like a V Moro, uh, HomePod mini. And as, as you can guess, these products tend to come from China. Same for the, the little air quality thing that I showed last time, the Jinping or whatever it was called. Um, and, uh, from like a linguistic point of view, just as like we Americans tend to find foreign accents to be enchanting in which way or another, uh, like a, a deep French accent, uh, kind of idea. Like, uh, I'm sure even if you don't feel that way, you know, someone that like has, uh, their, those perclusivities, uh, towards different accents. Um, uh-huh. and the same goes for different languages. Like we in English, we adopt every loan word we hear, um, and we will make it part of our language, whether we pronounce it right or wrong. Um, and like, uh, a great example is sake, sake, the drink. Uh, it's not pronounced sake, it's pronounced sake. But that's the, how it came into English now, and that's a cool thing. Like, oh, yes, I'll have a, a cup of warm sake, please. Um, right. So that just happens in language, and it happens just as much in Chinese than it does in English. Uh, so uh, in the show notes, I will share a wonderful little video from, like, ages ago of someone interviewing Chinese people and asking, like, hey, what's your English name? Um, and there are some excellent, and I say excellent, uh, choices, uh, and they're not made out of, like, uh, ignorance, if that makes any sense. Like, they chose those names, they know that's not necessarily the way that you say it, but they like the sound better, um, Mm -hmm. and from a different culture's point of view, like, hey, sounds, sound different, and what you like tends to be different than what other people like. Uh, so although it's not right by your standards and neither are our usages of foreign words either. Uh, so, right. uh, yeah, uh, going in with it, with that, my point of view in mind, it's a very, very funny video. Uh, and it explains a lot about how a lot of these products have like very wacky names from our point of view, but, uh, from a different point of view, it's, it sounds cool. Uh, it's fancy. Um, I'm also reminded of like in anime, uh, whenever they have, um, the generalized, like, oh, this is a foreign land. We're going to pick foreign names for everyone. And it's, mm-hmm. like, the most abomination of a name that you can... The What they said just does not match the subtitles in any way that you can think of. Um, <laughs> so, like, that sort of thing. Like, they find that cool. And it's, like, oh, that's, like, uh, super fancy and, like, uh, cool and neat. And then from our point of view, it's, like, I'm just going to gloss over that because... Mm-mm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely that, uh, the video that dimitri is talking about is excellent he just showed it to me before we started recording it is it's great it's only like five minutes it's definitely worth a watch <laughs> um so yeah as always i want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week please be sure to follow us on twitter at code completion to know when new episodes get released and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who's at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunyol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye! So as a commented out, I have a slight update. Um, regularly, um, and it's been much better lately, but regularly uh, I have needed to replace my headphone cables. So for anyone watching this on YouTube, uh, you can see that they have been mangled. Um, and at least this is in one piece. I have found uh, headphone cables that are in many pieces and continue to find them months later. Um, and that is because my wonderful, wonderful cats one of them which is right here uh-huh. um likes to bite specifically this cable 
Uh, they're like the lightning cables, like, oh, they'll take a nibble and then we like, eh, I'm moving on. Uh, but this one specifically, uh, is a muncher. Uh, I don't know if it's like springiness. It's very small. Maybe they bite through it in one go and they're like, oh, there, there she goes on the home pod cable. Um, <laughs> uh, but there's something about it where they want to like destroy it, um, and swallow it or do whatever cats do. Um, so I've been like, hoarding copies of this cable in case i need because it's like the small little jack to the medium little jack it's like a mess um so i have thankfully bose does not sell these for very much uh so i have like a small hoard of like three or four uh <laughs> left uh but i thought i found a very good place to put it because usually i'd put it in the headphone case i'd unzip it put it in there rezip it um under my imac which i'm recording on it's on like a 12 south little like razor um which has a little window that you can like open up and put stuff and I was like, this is an excellent safe place uh, for it. So after we recorded, I don't remember if it was last week or the previous week, um, I thought I did that. Um, but then when I found the cable the next day, I was like, oh, I must have forgotten, right? I like put it away in a hurry, uh, rushed out to dinner or whatever, um, and didn't have a chance to put it away. And therefore the cats got it. And now I'm like one down on my on my hoard. Uh, so uh, a few days after that, I found out that these so i put that cable back because i'm like okay i'm gonna use this as like since it's my one intact one uh even though it's like ruined i'm gonna chop off the ends of it solder on some like hefty speaker wire um Mm -hmm. and then like put some sugru or something to like make a new uh a new plug uh and that's gonna be my heavy duty like because they don't sell these as heavy duty cables they just like i don't know why um I even tried like the braided one. They they chewed through that as well. Uh, so I just need some like thick plastic with some thick core copper inside of it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so I I put it. I I noticed because I put this one back in that same spot, and I was like, oh, I must have forgotten to put it away. Let me put it away. Um, I noticed that uh, Sesame, one of my cats, Sesame, and Kitan, the other cat, Kitan, uh, Sesame and Kitan would fish from the back of the iMac with their little little sharp paws and actually managed to get it out of the thing and i'm like how are you reaching like in what way but i guess their little arm just like squeezes through and they knew it was there because they kept going back they that's how i knew i didn't forget to put it away because they kept going back to that same spot which means that they learned they're like in this one moment i learned that there's good stuff in there and for the next three months i'm gonna keep checking um so they went in and like started grabbing it and they kept pulling out that same cable i'm like what did you just grab and what are you running away with (laughs) right uh that is the the story of my my headphone cables and why i always need to put this particular one away um the usb cable from the mic like untouched but i think that's like a nice thick cable and it's yeah i don't know why that one is safe um when the others are not but yeah, I'm trying to think of like what you could put on the outside to really like effectively shield it. Like, I know that they'll make like paracord, like, pla- oh my gosh. What so, Lynn, Lynn started uh, kind of doing a thread kind of sheet. Oh, um, on, s- yeah. On, on, I don't know if it's focused here on my shirt. Well, no, it's just like the 240p video that's live. Oh. <laughs> yeah, it'll be better. I see the, the colors. I can't really see like what it is though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's basically thread, and she just started wrapping it, and she's like, "Oh, I'll do this as a surprise," and she brought it out to me, and she's like, "What do you think?" And I'm like, "I love it as a thing because orange, like me and orange." Um, but the cats are going to chew right through this even more. I just know it. Uh-huh. Um, it's not going to protect Diddly Squat, so um, like she might continue this one just so that way I can use. But I'm still going to need to guard it with my life, which is a fact of life when it comes to headphones in this household um so yeah uh you might ask like hey why don't you use a wireless they're wireless headphones um and the reason is because i have them plugged into the mic because i get like not motion sick but i will start talking slowly if there's any feedback um with regard to like uh any delay with regard to Mm -hmm. me hearing myself and I like to be able to hear myself because then I can hear if the fans are going absolutely bonkers in my office and it's picking up on the mic and then I can go ahead and fix that. Um, and if I don't fix that, then I have no idea if the sound is like coming through or not. So mm-hmm. 
uh, yeah, that's that's why I'm using the wires on my wireless headphones, which are not even on, which is super nice. Like I can just patch through. Um, Use them not all headphones do that. Um, but yeah, that's that's my headphone cable apocalypse story. Yeah, we uh, we need to we need to solve that because how many cables have they have they gone through? It's oh, I think I've seen like four or five easily. Yeah, easily half a dozen. Um, yeah. And I've been like more and more careful every single sacrifice that has been made. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I guess I, I like let loose a little, and I'm like, okay, I'm not going to put in the zippered thing. I'm going to put it in this little compartment, which should be safe. Um, and it was safe for like a few months until one of them decided to drop their toy in the little bucket mm-hmm. uh, behind the computer. So once they drop their toy, then they start to fish out their toy. And instead of getting their toy, they got something way more interesting. Um, and that was that was where the problem started. So, yeah. You might be wondering what sort of toy fits in such a small place. A little piece of candy wrapper that I tied into a knot that they love. Um, uh-huh. So, yeah. Like that, that cats like trash more as toys than toys you buy from the store. Uh, and he- headphone cables are like premium. That's food. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know why. Yeah, I'd love to know like what their reasoning is for for the love of of these three point five millimeter jacks. It's hilarious to me. I I think it's like you know when um when AI neural nets like they completely misinterpret something and it's mm. like something completely different. Um, I think that's going on. Like it's just, just they get, on... they got hacked in some sort of way of this like weird <laughs> object that they would have never seen in in nature, uh, and this is now like short circuiting their brain and their pupils start dilating into uh, a full full moons, and then uh, they are ready to kind of destroy whatever that is, and it's like nothing. <laughs> yeah, they have some gnarly bloodlust, that's for sure, <laughs> or I don't know what it would be, copper lust cord lust yeah i don't think they even like the flavor of it it's just the fact that it's like a string it's a snake i guess yeah 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 that's true and there are some what what is it the the bobcats that go after like rattlesnakes um which is like impressive i'm sure a fair amount have died in the early days but then they just got better and better at or the ones that didn't (laughs) die they got better at uh the practice of hunting rattlesnakes um But yeah, cats. Cats are interesting. That's all I got. Anything else? Nope. (laughs) Okay. Bye, everyone. Bye.